morning, church. Um, and uh, happy Father's Day for um, those who have the pleasure of, of being fathers. Uh, before we get into it, I'm going to just kind of soapbox and say something about parents. Um, I, I work with a demographic of students who uh, may not have had the best role models in their lives at times. And uh, if you are a parent, you, you play one of the, the most important roles and jobs that exists. Um, and if you hear that and go, well, I, I don't have kids, it's very likely that you are a parent in a way that you may never have known. Um, and so thank you, parents. Um, you are crucial. And uh, I just wanted to, yeah. Let's get into it. <laughs> um, I thought about doing something topical for Father's Day, uh, and then I didn't, uh, because that's how my brain works, so there's a peek inside that. Uh, so I decided we're just going to continue uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, because uh, don't, don't fix what ain't broken. Um, and so, if you would, turn with me today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and we're going to be starting in verse 19. Uh, so if you, would, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Matthew 6. And we're going to start in verse 19 this morning. Uh, and as you turn there, I want to um, just kind of give you guys a little bit of recap. Because it's been, it's been a bit since we have been in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and and the, the key thing to remember here is that the sermon was given as a whole. And so it's been a few months since we've looked at it. But Jesus is audience would have been hearing this thing in total beginning to end. So they didn't take a break. Uh, and so we, we need to kind of recap because as we're going to see today, the first part of the sermon is going to come to fruition in the last part of the sermon. Uh, and so in the first portion of the sermon, which in our Bibles is kind of like Matthew 5, that's mostly the first part of the sermon, um, Jesus is, is setting forth some moral things about the kingdom. Uh, the first there is he is talking about the, the blessed ones. These are the people who just kind of intuitively understand that they need to be a part of this kingdom. They, their access to it is less hindered by the things of this world than maybe others. Uh, and then he moves into describing what people of the kingdom look like, how they live. What are their moral standards? Uh, and, and all that in chapter 5. And then he kind of turns in chapter 6 to start talking about the spiritual standards of the kingdom. He's told us how we should live. And now he begins in chapter 6 to tell us how do we practice our faith, practice our righteousness? How do we live this thing out? Uh, and, and in doing so, Jesus moves from standards and ideas to big, practical thoughts about how we should live and how we should express our faith in the world around us. And any time that you move from an idea and a thought about something to how do you do it, there's discomfort. And it's tough. Uh, and it, it's kind of like ripping off the Band-Aid. <laughs> uh, you can do it slow and get all the hair with it, or you can just do it real quick. And Jesus goes for the real quick, okay, we're going we're gonna to get really, really practical really fast is how he does it. And what we find is how we practice our spiritual lives, 
how we practice our righteousness, as he talks about at the beginning of chapter 6, growing in that righteousness overlaps with those moral standards. They, they kind of sit right on top of each other and overlap each other in our lives. And in the first part of our spiritual practice, Jesus has focused keenly on our private lives. Whether or not the things we say and do and how we treat people are consistent with what we say we believe. He's talked about hypocrisy, and he's talked about our giving and our prayer and our fasting and how we practice our spiritual lives. Um, and so today, he's going to um, make a, a different transition and a different pivot to what do our public moral lives look like? The things that other people see. And so Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for the example uh, of a parent that you've given us. And I just pray that as we turn to your word and turn specifically to this idea of what is most valuable to us and what is our treasure, I pray that um, you would help us to be open to being critical. God, I pray that if, if the Spirit moves us to reevaluate things in our lives that, that may be our treasures, I pray that you would help us to know how to uh, deal with those things appropriately so that way we may honor you. We ask this in your name. Amen. So in this section uh, of, the, of the sermon, Jesus is talking about treasure, and primarily he is, he is discussing where we place our allegiance and where we place our passions. What do we care about? What drives us? What moves us forward? What causes us to take action? Uh, and, and what he wants us to see, and, and the, the point of this is, what we care about, the thing we care about, is what we will focus on. What we care about is what we focus on. And what we focus on is what we will live for. What we care about is what we focus on, and what we focus on is what we live for. And so Jesus discusses first what we care about. And to do so, he introduces this metaphor of a treasure. And he tells those gathered, and remember, many of those gathered on this hillside were the outcasts and the poor and the destitute of, of society who were following Jesus around because he's feeding them and healing them. And they're gathered, and he starts to tell them about treasure. And he says, don't lay up your treasure on earth. And as Jesus often does, he doesn't say, okay, don't do this, and then moves on. He tells them specifically why. He gives them a reason. It's not, hey, don't lay up your treasure in heaven, and now we're going to move on to the next thing. He tells them why. 
He, he is practical here. And the things he says that we accumulate in this world, they are subject to the woes of this world. The stuff we accumulate in this world are subject to the woes of this world. There are um, multi-million dollar industries today in our world uh, that exist because things fall apart. They're not reliable. They can't be counted on. <laughs> they, they are not going to last forever. If you have insurance, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, there's, there's car insurance, home insurance, property insurance. You, don't get me started on health insurance. And you can get health insurance for your pet. There's security systems and cameras. Special plates that we have to weld on the bottom of buses. And, and I'm not against insurance. Like, that is not my spiel. I'm not against insurance, and I would argue that what God's Word says about being good stewards would suggest that, that God is not either. But these industries exist because of the fact about this life, and that is that moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. It happens. It's not going to last. The stuff of this world will not last. Our electronics, which I'm using one, here we are. Most of us interact with them daily, if not hourly. Um, as I said, I'm, here I am interacting with it right now. Um, this stuff is designed to fail. They build it to fail just in time for the next cool thing. The stuff does not last. You cannot take it with you. And maybe you're thinking, well, I, owe, I, I know stuff doesn't last. I get it. But like moth and rust are not my concerns. Like I use rusties and Orkin comes to my house, so I'm good. I don't have to worry about it. The idea here is, is seen most in the term for rust um, that, that Jesus uses. Uh, another translation in some of your Bibles might have the translation of worm. Um, and it's the idea that this thing is eaten and consumed. It's used up entirely. Even if the insects and vermin and the rain and the elements can't get to your treasure, the idea here is you will use it up in time. You will use it up in time. And if you value it, Jesus says, enough to save it away and stash it away, and I'm not going to use it, there's going to be somebody who cares enough about it to go find it and take it for themselves. Nothing is safe in this life, and you cannot take it with you. God's kingdom, the coming kingdom, is going to put insurance companies out of business. And so Jesus instead tells the people of the kingdom to lay up your treasure in heaven. Because unlike earth, where it's not guaranteed, it's not going to last, it's going to be destroyed or used up, there's no moths or rust or thieves in heaven to destroy it and take it. It's safe there. 
And if you hear that and you say, well, wait a minute. I thought you said I couldn't take it with me. How do I get my car to heaven? How do I get my house to heaven? I like this, I like this plan. If, if nobody can get it in heaven, all I have to do is get all of my stuff into heaven and I'm good. And, and you don't understand how much jewelry, money, electronics, board games, just to share an example. I have. How do I get that stuff into heaven where it's safe? And Jesus is not telling us how to store our stuff. This is not a storage concern. He's not saying, well, yes, you know your treasure. You all know it. Figure out how to get it to heaven. No. He is telling us how to care about the right stuff. The change is not in where we store our treasure. It is in what our treasure is. That is the shift that Jesus wants us to make. If your treasure is in material, temporary things, your focus and your hopes and your desires are only going to go as far as those things. They will not go further. When they break, you will be worried. When it is stolen, you're going to be scared. That is kind of what Jesus is is pushing us into this reality of where our treasure is, is where our focus is. It's what drives us. Jesus says, we don't need to ensure our treasure for heaven. We need to change what our treasure is. Make sure it's the right thing. And so, treasures in heaven are the things that are going to last beyond this life. How we loved each other. How we cared for people when they needed us to care for them. How we pursued God deeper each day. The way we told the truth, even when it was difficult. The times when we cared for the person, even when we wanted to tell the truth loudly to them. In short, it's most of, if not all of the things he has talked about in Matthew 5 and the first part of 6 so far. Those are the things that store us treasures in heaven. And when we do them, we are showing what our treasure is. It's the things that allow us to practice our righteousness. And this is amazing because Jesus is suggesting that how we live now and connect to God in this life has an impact on our treasure one day with Him in heaven in the coming kingdom. Jesus is suggesting that how we live now, the ways in which we use what God has given us now, have a lasting impact into the coming kingdom. That's what he's suggesting. And so to answer the question, okay, this is all theory and Jesus has given me a lot of good ideas, but like, does it really matter if I, like I believe them, do I have to do them? Jesus says, yeah, it's important too, because that stuff carries over into this kingdom. Those are your treasures in heaven. And while this is an awesome teaching, it's not even Jesus' main point. (laughs) Uh, Because he drives it home at the end of this section. He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things we value, whether they're in this life or in the coming kingdom, that's where our energy and our time and our emotions and our thoughts and the things that, that fill our brains in the, in the slow hours of the day, those are our treasures. Because that's what our focus is on. And if you're unsure about what your treasure is, work backwards. Look at how you spend your time. Look how you spend your money. Ask yourself, how, how do I spend my energy every day? What occupies your thoughts? What is the biggest impact on your emotions? What is the thing that if I were to not have it, it would bother me? Because if your earthly treasure is something that you come apart about when it's gone, it's not a treasure. It's an idol. And that's why when Jesus starts talking about treasure, he, he's, he's ripping the band-aid off real quick. Because he's really talking about idols. Jesus says, what we care about is what we focus on. And so, people of the kingdom should care about and value the things of the kingdom where no bug or moisture or thief can reach it. Can't affect those things. And so Jesus moves on from addressing what we value and what our treasure is to talking about what we focus on. Verse 22. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So a lot of us hear Jesus talk about treasure and we go, okay, I, I, I get this. I'm following the train of thought. You know, yes, very good. And then he starts talking about our eyes. And the last time in the sermon that Jesus has brought up our eyes, it has also been like a striking thing where he told people to gouge them out. And so, I don't know what it is about whenever Jesus talks about eyes, um, but it, it always gets our attention. It's like, what are you doing? What are you saying here? Because at first glance, we might look at this and say, well, my eyes aren't that great. Like, do I have a problem spiritually because of this? Like he says if my eye is not healthy... My whole body is going to follow. And Jesus is not talking about the quality of our eyes. I had to, I had to bite the bullet, and here I am. I'm not wearing them. I had to bite the bullet this year, and, and I had to get glasses. And uh, I don't need them, but here we are. Um, and just not, he's not talking about the quality of, of how we can see things. He has moved on from a metaphor about treasures that capture our hearts to talk about a different metaphor, which is lamps that direct our paths. He tells them that the eye is the lamp of the body. Uh, and this metaphor is set in Jesus' time, and so we have to kind of like do a little peek back at what is a lamp to them. Because to us, most of the time, a lamp is hooked to a wall by a cord. 
and you use it to just make that little corner of the room a little bit better, or maybe I need it to read by, or I'm getting ready for bed, and I don't want the full light on, so I hit the lamps, that way I'm, oh, I can do the low light thing. That's lamps to us. And sometimes we have a little lantern lamp that we have, but most of the time we just go for flashlight, and we can do that. But lamps in their world were mostly portable. Like, they, they didn't have plugs. Uh, it was fire. They lived in a truly dark world. And not dark in the sense of like, oh, the times were evil and it was really scary. That was true. But it was dark. They didn't have all this lighting. When it got dark out, you went inside and went to sleep, usually. It was a dark, dark world. And when you had to go outside, you better take light with you. Because right now, I mean, I can go outside, out of my house, and I'm not worried about some animal coming and attacking me or some robber popping out of the bush and stealing something from me. But in their world, that was a reality. You take a lamp with you. It's, it's your safety. The lamp would shed, shed light on the path in front of you. And if you've ever been walking at night in the dark and you have the flashlight aimed on the path in front of you, this stuff out here, you, you can't see this. Like, it's dark over here. But where that lamp and where that light is, is focused on, you can see it great. But all the other stuff is not in focus. And so this is where his metaphor is coming in because what our focus is, is the thing that we are keeping our attention on. And he couples that with another idea in their thinking, which is the Jewish thinking about the eyes. Um, in their view, their eyes are the gateway to a person's highest values. Uh, this is where we get the phrase, the apple of my eye. Or it could also be translated, the little person of my eye. And it's the idea that when you're looking into someone's eyes, the little person in their eye is the person they're focused on. And it's you. The eye to them is the gateway to a person's highest values. Your eyes reveal what you care about. And as a result, it guides you toward it. And if you want like an image of this, if you've ever seen like in a show or a movie where they, you know, they have the bad guy or the person and they're like, they want something so much and they kind of use that thing reflected in their eye, that's, what's, that's the imagery here. The thing that we value and focus on, that's what our eyes are directed towards. And so with this in mind, Jesus calls the eye the lamp. Because if we're focused on that thing and that's our deepest value, we are going to be guided toward it. We're going to be directed toward it. And all the stuff out here is not lit. It's not focused on anymore. If our eye is set on the things of the kingdom, here Jesus says the things categorized by light, things which will last and have value, our bodies will follow suit. And we get to experience the blessing of that focus. Or to put it in the terms of the metaphor, we are filled with light. And if you hear that and you go, okay, wait. Didn't you like a year ago talk about like us being filled with light and being light? Yes. And for Jesus, it would have probably been like four minutes prior in his sermon. Because he has already told them that we are salt and light. 
He's calling back to this previous idea. And so he's, he's trying to get us to, to grab onto this picture that when kingdom people have healthy eyes, meaning that their focus is right, they're focused on things that will last, on things of the kingdom, he says their bodies and their lives and their existence are also characterized by those things. They are filled with that kingdom focus. And this light that we are characterized by, it might be the example that someone else needs to see. It might be that example that someone else needs to go, I don't know what's going on, but they seem to have something different. I'm going to focus on that thing that they have. I'm going to focus on this king that they're following. And that they may pursue kingdom living themselves. It's public. It's awesome. <laughs> if you've ever had someone in your life who, who is that kind of spiritual mentor, you know, Pastor Ben shared how this, this group from <laughs> years ago in youth group got together. If you've ever had that person who's like that spiritual mentor to you, you know that feeling. Even if it's been years, you value their opinion. You value who they are. Because they pointed you towards the kingdom, towards the light. But, Jesus says, and he always hits us with the, well, what if? Uh, but if kingdom people's focus is off... <laughs> When they are not focused on the things of the kingdom or the things that produce light, he says it is to their detriment. Uh, and, and the turn of phrase that he says, and he, he says, if then the light in you is darkness. If you've ever needed light and it's not there anymore, it's real dark all of a sudden. Very much so. If our focus is on temporary wasting things, Jesus says it's going to fill us with darkness. It's not going to give us focus. It's not going to direct us into something that is light to others. To maintain the metaphor, again, darkness here is not coupled with the idea of evil. It's this idea of emptiness. It guides us nowhere. It leaves us stuck right where we're at. If you are navigating with a light and all of a sudden, like I said, your light goes dark, you stop moving because you're stuck. You're going to fall. You're going to run into something. You're going to get lost. When our focus is misplaced, it changes our direction. It changes our ability to be light to others. And Jesus says that what we value and care about changes what we focus on. And so when he says, if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's not saying, well, this is great. It, Woohoo! It's a, this is a terrible, terrible, big darkness. Because it is being miscategorized as light. If you are using something as your light and your guide, and that thing is, is guiding your actions and guiding your heart, if that thing isn't really light, but it's actually darkness... You know where the moths and the thieves hide? Jesus says it, it's real bad. It's, he, it's, it's a great darkness. And it's great in that the consequences of treating that thing as something it is not 
are dire on you and on the people around you. Darkness does not stop being darkness just because we try and call it light. Darkness doesn't stop being darkness just because we try to use it in ways that we would use light. And our lives will reveal the true nature of what we focus on. Darker light. Is it guiding us towards the kingdom? Or is it just kind of causing us to meander around this world, jumping from one thing to the next? And maybe you hear that and you think, okay, come on. Jesus is 2,000 years ago to a bunch of people on a hillside. They lived in a dark world. Like, this, this was for them. I've got headlights on my car. Like, this isn't for me. And I go to church, like, I'm good. I, I get my fix of Jesus. I love Jesus. And I go to church and I learn about God. And I talk about Him to my friends at church. Isn't that enough light for the week? Like, won't that tie me over until next week when I get my hour and a half in? I would just remind you of, of one thing. We don't need lamps in rooms or on paths that are already lit. The church is where the light is. We need light and we need lamps in areas where it's very, very dark. The church is where the light exists. And now Jesus is... Take it out there. And I think what we're going to find is as we begin to take our light out of this place and into our work and into our communities, into our groups of friends, we're going to find that we need that refresher and encouragement more often than once a week. Because what we focus on, as Jesus is going to end with, is ultimately what we live for. What we care about is what we focus on, and now Jesus is going to describe that what we focus on is what we live for. Verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. No one can serve two masters. Your treasure cannot be in the things of this earth and then also say, yeah, my treasure is in heaven. It's in the kingdom. You cannot let your focus beyond the things of this earth that distract and, and cause you to stumble around and say, yes, and my focus is on the light that is guiding me towards the kingdom. Jesus, he invokes this idea of a master. And there's been folks who have, they, they try to jump around this term master. It, it's master-slave language. It is. And the point is this. The idea is this, that what you focus on you make it your master. You, you create that for yourself. You cannot serve both. It's allegiance. It's not a matter of employment. There's, 
It's very easy to have more than one job these days. Huh. It's not about employment. It's about allegiance. What has captured your heart? He closes this idea with saying that we cannot serve God and money. And maybe you hear that and you think, like many of the poorer people seated before Jesus that day, and you think, I am in no danger <laughs> of, of that. We're all good. Um, I would remind you, you don't have to have money to worship it. You do not. In fact, a lot of times when you are consumed with getting it, that's the worship. But I want to look at this term for money. Um, and, and many of you, if you, some, like again, I said, some of you might have a translation that uses a word mammon here. Uh, and and this, this term mammon was a Jewish cultural term. Uh, they had taken this, this deity that existed, and they had kind of taken it and like culturally ripped it and put it over here in their world and used it as a stand-in for an emotional idea attached to the things we want. Mammon is a caricature. And, and think of how we picture greed as this like kind of green, sly-eyed, that's what they're doing with mammon. They have created this, this entity that stands in for this desire to get what we want above all else. Mammon's domain is the earth and earthly things. The stuff that we have and the stuff that we want. Place of worship is people's wealth, their stockpiles, their houses, and their livestock, and our bank accounts. And Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't. Because if you serve mammon, and you live to gain wealth and possessions, or not even that, just live to have some sort of security... Your focus and worship are on whatever will bring you those things. That's what will captivate your heart. But when your focus is placed on, on, what, we, on what brings you those things, Jesus tells us we've, we've found what our treasure is. It's on those things. The stuff of this world. The stuff that moths and rust eat and thieves steal. Jesus tells us if that's where our treasure's at, it's the place our heart resides. It holds our heart. And it keeps us. And so Jesus, here, in talking about treasure, and talking about eyes, and talking about mammon, he's calling us to deal with idolatry. To rightly place our treasure on things that will last for eternity. If you hear that term idolatry, you think, like, I don't have a shrine in my house. So I don't have idols. You don't have to have a shrine to have idols. Many folks carry them around in their pocket nowadays. Rather, he's calling us to place our focus and place our worship on God. And in doing so, we become in service to God. And we are doing things that will last, have spiritual significance that will have impact on our lives in this kingdom here on earth and 
in the future in heaven. And in doing so, our focus and our service is as members of the kingdom. It's kingdom-focused. Because what we care about is what we focus on. And what we focus on is what we live for. And my prayer is that in, in thinking through these things, that we would be motivated to live for Jesus, to make Jesus our focus, to make Jesus our treasure. Because it works, it builds on itself. It's kind of a cycle. And at some point we have to say, enough is enough, I want to break this and get my, get my eyes right. <laughs>